You're listening to the Winsight Podcast Network. Increase covers, not costs. It's time to level up with Talk, the restaurant industry's leading reservation platform. Join today using promo code RESTAURANTS3 for three months free off of your base subscription. Terms and conditions apply. Go to jointalk.com slash podcast. That's jointalk.com slash podcast. Welcome to Menu Feed, a weekly podcast from restaurant business and food service director. I'm Pat Kobe, senior editor covering menu, food, and drink for both media brands. I'm joined by Anna Castellani, a hospitality entrepreneur who transitioned from the movie business to become a pioneer in New York City's food hall explosion. She started with the DeKalb Market in Brooklyn, where she contracted with local vendors and intentionally created a community gathering place. Her newest food hall is the U in the Citicorp building in Midtown Manhattan. Anna is on a mission to transform unloved spaces into vibrant eating and drinking venues. Recently, she developed a fast casual restaurant situated in the far reaches of the mall at Hudson Yards. Listen as Anna shares her vision of what a successful food hall should be and how she blends food, drink, design, and community into a lively destination. Welcome, Anna. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Nice to be here. Thank you. Well, let's begin by telling me how you got started in the hospitality industry and a little bit about your career path and some of the steps you took. Yeah, you know, I think my story, maybe it's a little unique, not the most unique, but uh, I was actually in the movie business doing camera work uh, in my 20s and made a very fast, you know, after I had been there a long time, I moved back to New York. I was in L.A., and kissed the ground. I was so happy to be back in New York. And I decided that I wanted to have my own business, right? I didn't want to work on a movie set. I didn't want to work for anybody. I wasn't built for it. But I had no plan. I had no idea what I was going to do. So I had a college friend who knew a landlord in Dumbo, where I had a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And that's a little waterfront neighborhood in Brooklyn which at the time nobody was in and it was an artist neighborhood and they were looking for people to take spaces. So they never thought I would make it. They gave me a very good lease and um, said, here you go, hon, see what you can do with it. And I had no business plan, nothing. I said, well, I think maybe I'll sell art supplies because it was an artist neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So I had canvas and paints and all this stuff that, by the way, makes no money. Uh, <laughs> and I was very lonely in there. I started selling anything anybody needed in the neighborhood because there were no services in the neighborhood at the time. Mm-hmm. If you needed a stamp, you could buy a stamp. If you wanted to buy handmade jewelry made by a craftsperson, you could buy that. But since I was bored and I have a lot of physical energy, I, um, and I love coffee. So I was like, there's no coffee in this neighborhood. So I got an espresso machine put into my art supply shop and it gave me an activity like making coffee Mm -hmm. and getting better at making espresso, getting better at making cappuccinos, whatever, fussing over it all day. Because by the way, you don't have many transactions in an art supply store, right? (laughs) (laughs) Just no note to sell. 
So when I started getting better at the coffee, um, all these people started to come in and buy coffee from me. And the neighborhood that I actually hadn't seen much of, suddenly I became the coffee place. And I met all my neighbors and I put tables in. I actually brought electrical spools from the Manhattan Bridge construction. I rolled them down the sidewalk, those big ones, <laughs> right. the industrial size ones, and then got some Ikea chairs. Those were my first dining chairs and my first dining tables because I had no budget. And uh, I think it just hit a note at the time when the neighborhood was still very rough. It was still people camped out in their studio spaces. So they they loved the fact that it was so random in my space. Mm-hmm. Um, I became very good at making coffee. And then they I thought, you know, they're hungry. There's no food. <laughs> so we I started making food. And we had sandwiches. We had, you know, salads. Mm-hmm. And then it was packed. I was packed every day. But I was packed. Literally, the art supplies got pushed, pushed into the back. And um, suddenly I was rolling more electrical spools down the sidewalk. <laughs> and, you know, I had some employees. We, we barely had, in, we didn't have air conditioning for five years. Wow. So people came in pouring in sweat. And, you know, I, it, it was the kind of neighborhood where nobody had air conditioning in their studios either. Right. So it didn't matter. And then I can remember the first time a woman in like a business outfit came in. And I remember all of us just kind of stopped. And I think it, it alerted us to the change in the neighborhood. You know, mm-hmm. the was changing. And then air conditioning had to be put in, infrastructure, clean bathrooms, you know, things that uh, business people want. So I, that was how I got into the food business. And what year, what time frame was this? Uh, 2000. So, oh, so it wasn't that long 20, ago. Yeah. Yeah. One twenty-three years. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually had one of those schools in my first apartment too. So they, they, yeah. they do work well as tables. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, that's a really cool story. Uh, and now Dumbo, of course, is like, you know, lively and uh, destination. Oh, uh, man. I, I lost friends over that. They were like, you're crazy. They were all bankers or in the tech industry. And there I was slinging coffee in this sweat box. And they just, <laughs> they just said, you're nuts. So it's turned out to be the, you know, not such a bad move, but who knew then? And now you have a, your current position as CEO of local culture management. So tell me what that's all about. It's well, hard, it sounds, hard to tell from re- the name. <laughs> yeah, it sounds very fancy. Uh, you know, I, I've done a lot of things since then. And, um, I think Local Culture is the company I founded when I did the food hall in Brooklyn, which is called Decal Market Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we did the Hue after that. And then, um, and I guess I'll, I'll be doing some more larger space developments coming up. Uh, and that company does that. Right. So between the espresso machine and Decal Market, what, how, did you get, <laughs> how did you get to that point? So, um, so let me see, how did I get there? Oh, so I was in a, um, sort of a bit like the, the first place, the first little general store that I owned. I I was sitting in the Gristides up in Brooklyn Heights on Henry street. And it's, I mean, nothing against, you can, you can bleep out the name Gristides if you need to, 
but it smelled like um, bleach and, and rat poison all mixed together. And it was a grocery store. And I remember thinking, why do I always, like, why do I have to shop for food in a place like this? Like, why? I don't understand why food shopping has become so antiseptic and, and unpleasant when, you know, I, why do I have to go to France to go to a market? Why do I have to travel over the sea? You know, all these questions hit me sitting in literally the Gracides on Henry Street. <laughs> so I knew that some of the artists were leaving Dumbo in 2005. And uh, I, there was a corner space. And I said, okay, I'm going to open the grocery store. My mother said, it's a terrible idea. This is the worst idea you've ever had. And it was a struggle. It was a very hard business. And there's a reason people don't go into it. But we were the first farm-to-table grocery um, in the city. We brought, you know, my ex-husband and I, brought all kinds of food down from upstate. We were trucking it ourselves because there were no trucks. Um, Grass-fed meat was like a black market item. Getting mm. it really strange. Um, we started growing all of our own produce. So I had a huge learning curve in food systems with that business. I had one of them in Dumbo. We opened another one in Chelsea in 2012. But while I had those businesses... I had, my mom had worked as an assistant to a developer for many, many, many years. And uh, Paul came to me and said, I, I had this plot of, I had this project in downtown Brooklyn. This was probably in 2007. Mm -hmm. I think it needs a food hall. And would you be interested in helping us? So we, spitballed some ideas and then it got shelved by the um 2008 downdraft you know the real the whole mm, crap right mm -hmm. so that just sort of went by the wayside and once the money came back into new york a few years later they started looking for operators food halls were sort of becoming a thing a little bit mm -hmm. they started looking for operators but no one really wanted to touch downtown brooklyn they didn't understand it i grew up not far away they just didn't understand the market. So that's how I ended up curating. So they, they wanted to put me upstairs in 9,000 square feet. And I said, it's not dramatic enough. It's not fun enough. Why would anybody go? So they showed me the 60,000 square foot basement or they, on the plans, it hadn't even been dug yet. And, <laughs> uh, and I said, okay, that's my spot. I'll take the basement. Um, and then I went about selling a basement in downtown Brooklyn and it's um, actually, it's doing really well. I'm very, very proud of that project. And you really kind of, I mean, food halls started around that and then they kind of transitioned into something else. And now they're into their next phase, I guess, like the post-pandemic phase almost. Mm -hmm. But yours is like what everyone wants to become now, it seems, because you have a lot of, you know, small restaurants and people who are, you know, who are community minded and that kind of thing. So describe that to me a little bit about what type of operators you have in the Dakar market. Yeah. You know, I, I think almost immediately I knew what I wanted and what I wanted was, was what I thought was missing. New York at that time is still, but really heavily right before, you know, the pandemic, everything was becoming very banal. You know, I'll remember all the banks on the corners and, you know, the CVS is everywhere. And, and I definitely felt that there was a part of New York street life that I grew up with that was missing. And that's why we all move here. 
You know, mm-hmm. we don't we don't stay for the CVS. We stay for the people because there's no reason to stay here. Really, <laughs> we just have great people. Well, you can find those everywhere at CVSs. And <laughs> right. I just New York is about people. It's about mm-hmm. theater. It's about um, the 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 meshing up of of energy that's almost impossible to find in any other city. So I wanted that there. That's that was the that was the emotion I used when I went about getting people. And then you you know it, it's a learning curve. You you have to find people who want to be in that kind of space. Will do much much better on their own. You know, street level independent. You have to find people who want to be in a group setting, and which is not easy for a lot of operators. And I look at it as good food. I think it should be affordable. And I think it should attract absolutely everybody. And I do think that's another huge difference with that project, which is that now it's happening again post-pandemic, thank goodness. But before the pandemic, you know, it was so jammed down there. And we had grandma, you know, we had the grandbabies, we had strollers from Brownstone, Brooklyn. We had downtown Brooklyn residents. Like it was the UN of nations and income brackets. Mm. People feel it and they like being in that environment. So I, I do feel like we're recovering to the same place. I wasn't sure if that would happen after the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's coming back, which is not great. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that for sure. Yeah. And you sort of like combined a lot of different cultures and ethnicities. And was that intentional then? Oh, yeah. It's also what I like. You know, it's mm-hmm. sort of, I liked, I like, I like the, uh, the different energies that different people. Now, managing all those different energies is not easy. <laughs> you have to have uh, a certain temperament as an operator to you know negotiate with the entire world because they all come from different negotiating backgrounds mm-hmm. uh, and also just levels of you know how they handle a woman operator you know that kind of thing but uh but essentially i really yes i, I went for i did not want for example if you bring in a, a mexican vendor right i want them to be mexican mm-hmm. you know i have a cuban vendor starting they're from cuba I didn't want to, we try to be very, uh, I want the real deal. I don't want the mm-hmm. fake, fake deal. And are most of the operators restaurants or do you have a food market in there now at this well, point? It's all restaurants. We, we found, and I found this over the years that New Yorkers don't cook. I don't, you know, that's why Trader Joe's down there is so successful. <laughs> It's really just packaged through food and, you know, frozen meals. Mm-hmm. Just don't cook. No. Well, this New Yorker cooks, but uh, <laughs> there are a few of us. <laughs> you left, right? Yeah. Yeah. And now the U is a little newer and different from Decob Market because that's in Midtown Manhattan. That probably attracts more of an office crowd now that yeah. people are back at work and a late night crowd, too. But tell me about the U. Um, well, it needed a very different treatment than what we did in downtown. I, I knew my, I think that, um, what I enjoy doing is figuring out who my market is and, uh, how to make them happy. Mm-hmm. So obviously Midtown East is very specific and you have banks and law firms and 
and also you I think you remember that building before mm-hmm. it renovated. So you know it was screaming eighties fast cat. You know their version of fast casual from the eighties. And you know they had long term leases on those spaces, so there was no freshness. And it, uh, luckily, the previous sort of New York head of Boston Properties realized it needed a total total redo had to be mm-hmm. in the office buildings. And I think they just liked, I think there are not many of us who run food halls, you know, there are a few, and I guess, you know, decal people really like it. So they came to me and uh, said, what do you think we can do with this space? So we worked together to, how do I say it? You know, I, I think I had a pretty clear vision about the kind of place it needed to be. Um, it had to be a little sophisticated without being too sophisticated. Mm-hmm. It had to um, align aesthetically with the building, which is a beautiful building that actually, as it's aging, is aging better than when I first saw it, when, you know, when it was built. Mm-hmm. Take advantage of the natural light. It just needed to come to 2023. I like the idea that you have like a mix of sit down place. I mean, there's a lot of seating there, which is unusual for a food hall right at, at the restaurant, you know, that it's serving rather than having to, you know, go up and get your food and yeah. come to a middle table and then sit down. So I really like that aspect of it. Was that intentional as well? Forgot about that. Yes. <laughs> Yes. So one of the things that I learned from Decal, and we're actually trying to fix it with our new vendors, is um, is the fact that we have uh, more. I think people love to sit at bars. Mm-hmm. I think they like the casualness of it, and um, they like to see the food being made. So people like the new people that are coming into Decal, they're going to have counter seating as well. Uh-huh. And- I, I really, so I, I made a few mistakes at decal. One of them was listening to the architects. Mm-hmm. Like, don't do that. Because they're all obsessed with design mm-hmm. and, and uh, straight lines and, and things that actually people react to chaos. They like it. And so and, and we tried the best I could in a building this fancy, like at, at the Hue. Mm-hmm. I didn't the best possible way to mix things up a little bit to, I brought in another designer to do the bars, um, more seating, tried to make it irregular versus mm-hmm. regular. And of course we had that huge privately owned public space in the center, which, you know, I don't, if I didn't have it there, I wouldn't have designed it the way we did, but um, we had to work around that. Mm-hmm. We couldn't lost inside. So you know, there were limitations. There was a huge elevator shaft and they didn't know what to do with the back corner. And that back corner, I just went in and I was like, this is the beer bar. And so we created this lovely, the, the architects, the designer that I hired did this beautiful ceiling treatment and it's become the most popular space. And they thought it was going to be the hardest space. So hmm. there's some funny little, I think that the fun part of opening a restaurant or actually I prefer these, these halls to be honest, because I like the the larger stage mm-hmm. is for me more fun than a, just a single restaurant. Yeah, definitely. So you work directly with the real estate companies then in developing these or 
they yeah. hire. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, you also are on the, uh, besides restaurants, you do like the beverage side, like you mentioned the beer, beer hall or the beer bar. And you also have a wine cellar in Brooklyn. Well, that- I, had, I had a wine shop. We were, we were the first natural little wine shop in um, mm-hmm. Manhattan. That, that location closed after COVID. Oh, okay. Um, just because of lease issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I have a, a wine background. I am opening another restaurant in, in Brooklyn. Um, why? Don't ask me. <laughs> and uh, let's see. We're also doing, I'm partners on uh, something at Hudson Yards that they asked me to do during the pandemic, mm-hmm. which was, you know, a little bit like the food hall idea. They All of these spaces, except for the restaurants, had something in common, which is that they were unloved spaces. Right. Mm. So the food hall at the Hue in this previous incarnation was really sad. Um, The basement space, they thought they were going to use for storage for retailers upstairs. They never thought that was retailable square footage. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then the space that I have at Hudson Yards is like tucked away in a second floor corner of what everybody was saying is a mall that's not working. Right. Mm-hmm. And they need, they needed some energy into the space. And so I think that's where I am best used sometimes is saying, all right, how do you take a this thing? And if you have a developer who is willing to um, take a risk, because it does require risk taking mm-hmm. um, and listen and just say, Hey, I I can't make it work. They say, then you try to make it work. That's a good place for me to be because it it allows me to have the freedom I need to, to, uh, to mess around. So what did you put in Hudson Yards? Cause I've been there a number of times, but I haven't, I'm not familiar with everything. There are a lot of restaurants there. So it's, those are mostly fine dining. So they, they, they were missing, they had some fast, casual, cheap stuff and they had very nice fine dining. Mm -hmm. nothing in the middle. And so my job was to create a bit of a middle. So if you go, it's, it's a, it's a, it's our take on a salad bar without it looking like a salad bar, which, which I think has phenomenal food. We've been luckily very, very busy. Um, artisanal pizza in the back. And th- this is all my staff. Um, nice Italian bakery in the front uh, and a full service bar, but everything is at a price point that makes it, uh, comfortable for what I saw as the everyday person there, which is either an office worker or a tourist, mm-hmm. or you work in the building in the retail shops. So you right. have to, you know, we were trying to get those price points right. What's the name of the restaurant? Well, my partner named it, not me. It's called Anna, A-N-A. Well, that's fitting. <laughs> right. He did it on purpose, I think, before <laughs> I could get to her. And then we, we do it. Beautiful, beautiful wine and spirit shop there as well. Independent. Okay. Which is definitely, yeah, I definitely want to check it out next time I'm there. It's a, There are also people who go to the shed to see shows mm-hmm. and exhibits and that kind of thing. And they're looking for a place to eat as well. So, yeah. And it's not meant to be, you know, you don't, there's no tipping. You don't have to, it, it, you run in, you run out. So mm-hmm. uh, Javits Center has been very good for us too. Oh, great. And what is Forage's Market? That's another one of your businesses yeah. or enterprises. 
Well, that was the grocery store. So we opened that in 2005. I closed both after COVID. Uh, one, the one in Brooklyn, literally there was nobody in Dumba during two and a half years. We lost, I, there was 2% occupancy in the offices too. Wow. And I think we lost residentially. I, it's not that people left their apartments. They just vacated like 60% of the um, residential population. So it was really a ghost town. I can't sell fresh food in that environment. We were never a packaged food shop. So I closed um, the market and I might, and I'm reopening a different concept in the same place. So will be a restaurant. However, I think uh, Foragers, you know, had a great reputation for many, many years, mainly because of uh, my obsession with quality and uh, quality produce, quality meat, particularly in the perishable side. Mm -hmm. The problem is, you know, it's very expensive uh, for customers. And, you know, I, I know that there was a moment in New York when a lot of people were trying to do nose to tail, a uh, whole animal, really trying to work with the Hudson Valley. And restaurants, as you know, you're doing these restaurant podcasts, you know, the, the food cost is, it's, it's labor and food and occupancy, those three items. Mm-hmm. A f- customer is simply... When occupancy goes so high and then labor goes up precipitously, what are you going to cut? You're going to cut your food costs to make mm. up. And you are seeing that all over the city. Portions are smaller. Uh, you're, you don't really have the same emphasis on farm to table anymore because the customer doesn't want to pay $50 for a plate. And that's what happens. Yeah. So, um, so to come back and try to reinvent that brand the same way, I'd have to be very, very careful. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a restaurant in that space. Yeah, uh, I have a, a different partnership and um, it'll be much more of a restaurant that I think, you know, I live in Dumbo too. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to create the restaurant that I want to eat in. You know, I mean, I've already, my old restaurant that I sold, the first one that had the arts materials, uh, two really lovely Italian guys bought from me like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I use that really as my kitchen. So you know, I'm going to open the other kitchen a couple doors down. So I have two restaurants to go to. In Brooklyn. Cool. And do you have a vision for it yet? Or you is it still secret? No, we have a we have a vision, but uh, <laughs> be secret. But I do have a vision. We have, you know, it's a, a design team. And I'm trying to do this one the right way instead mm-hmm. of uh, what I usually do, which, you know, or used to have to do, which was, okay, $5, how do we, but the, you know, sometimes there's an advantage to the $5 restaurant, you know, like if you have no budget, you, you make other things work, right? Budgets are dangerous. So I'm always um, careful not to lose the spirit of the thing. Is it going to be fast casual or casual or? No, no. we'll have a, there'll be a front portion that'll have a sort of a, you know, you grab a coffee, grab something fast, but not fast casual. It'd be very pretty. Mm-hmm. And then we'll a full restaurant in the back, but not expensive. The idea is that it's a everyday restaurant. Right. And is sustainability still a very important part of your mission? Because you, I know that local yes. sourcing and that kind of thing was important to you before. It's still very, very important to the way I eat every day myself. I think... 
it is so, I, I would say that where it shows up in my menus now is fish and meat. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I, I really try to, you know, we've, we were the sole shippers of, of farmstead meat from the Hudson Valley to the city for a long time. So, you know, if you're going to eat meat, you really have to eat the right stuff. Mm-hmm. And the restaurants will reflect that. The, I'm also, you know, dairy, buying from the local dairies. I don't mm-hmm. think people realize how important it is. So, yes, it, it is a big part of what I'll do at the restaurants, too. And in the year ahead, um, what are you mo- most looking forward to, both professionally and personally? I mean, obviously, you're going to be very busy opening restaurants and <laughs> that kind of you thing. But excited about? I, I can be. I, I know exactly what it is. I think that I'm hitting upon a really lovely group of people to work with every day, and I do think that you know I've been hustling a lot on my own for years. And only now do I feel like I'm developing a team around me that I really enjoy, that are very professional and make this very, very, very difficult business um, more pleasant to be in every day. You know, it's such a tough, such a tough industry. And it changes every, I feel like every year I'm working in a new business. Mm. So you're not agile. And if you're not, if you don't have a sense of humor, and I think sometimes if you haven't been around the block a few times, it can feel like a really bad business. I think having had the experience of multiple meltdowns in New York, you know, economic meltdowns and, you know, 9-11 and just everything that could go wrong, the pandemic. Uh, mm. If you can still get through all of those cycles and stay in this business, you've probably got some, some guts. Thanks so much, Anna. I can't wait to hear what's next. You can download this episode of Menu Feed and past podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Pat Kobe. Increase covers, not costs. It's time to level up with Talk, the restaurant industry's leading reservation platform. Join today using promo code RESTAURANTS3 for three months free off of your base subscription. Terms and conditions apply. Go to jointalk.com slash podcast. That's jointalk.com slash podcast.